Good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? So good. So, so, so good to be back. Guys, I have truly missed this place, and I just want to take a moment really quick and say welcome to all of you in this room. I also want to say welcome to those of you that will be watching online today. For those of you that are in this room may not know this, we actually have hundreds of people who tune in every single week to watch our sermons online. And so when you hear us introduce or give a special welcome to those watching online, it's because many people are tuning in to what's happening here at Trace, both in this state, outside of this state, and even in other countries. Last week, we had one of uh, our guys that's in the military that's overseas right now tuning in from Germany. And so can we we just welcome them, welcome them into this conversation today by giving them a round of applause. Well, over the last four weeks, uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, but I was on a study leave where the management team that oversees this church gave me the opportunity to get away and just be refreshed and refocused. And I just want to say a couple things about that really quick. First, thank you in this room for allowing me the opportunity to be away. It really was a refreshing time, some intentional time with my family, uh, and an opportunity to kind of think through. It's like, what are some of the things that we're doing right now that are good and that we need to keep doing? And what are, where are some areas that we might be drifting? Or what are some things that we may, may need to come back to the table on and have a different type of conversation just to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to represent the love of Jesus in this community? And so thank you again for that time away. But the second thing that I would like to say is a special thank you to Corey and the leadership of uh, that, left, that I left here in place when I took off. And they did an incredible job. Corey, Daisha, Tyler, all those guys. Can you just help me say thank you to them for leading in my absence? I think they did such a good job, you probably didn't even miss me, which hurts a little bit, but that's okay. We'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Hey guys, today um, we're going we're gonna to finish this series that we've been in all summer long called One. And we you know, the focus behind this series when we put it together was that we wanted to give you some tools, some things that we felt that would help you to study the Bible on your own. And you need to know this about us here at Trace. We think it's more important for your own personal pursuit of God outside of what happens here on Sunday than even what we do here on Sunday morning. And the way that we approach Sunday, and I think this will be beneficial for you to know, the way that we approach Sunday morning is more of a platform for you to jump off of when you come in here that you're encouraged, that you're, you're given tools to live out your faith, that you're reminded of the focus that God wants you to have as you live out each and every day. And so that this is, becomes a platform on Sunday morning for you to jump off of into a new week to have a, a new focus on what it is that God is calling you to do and who he's calling you to see and traces he's calling you to leave of his love throughout that week. And so one of the things that we also want everyone to do here is to be a part of a neighboring group. We truly believe that if you're not a part of a neighboring group, you're only getting kind of like half the experience that we want you to have here at Trace. And so here in a few weeks, we're going to be giving you an opportunity to dive into a group as we launch new groups for the fall semester. And so we just kind of want you to know that on the front end of this, that uh, yes, what we do here and here on Sunday is important, but it's not nearly important as what you do on your own when you leave here, and then also what you're doing within that group environment throughout the week as you bless your neighborhoods uh, and the different areas that you're meeting in. And so I uh, just wanted you to know that. Now, parallel to the Bible study focus of this one series was something that we introduced called the principle of one. 
And this principle of one was the idea to help you to keep moving forward in your life in pursuit of Jesus, specifically in the areas that matter the most. And we know that it's easy to get stuck in life, but based on your current situation and circumstances, oftentimes we get clouded by everything in front of us and everything that we feel at times is overwhelming us. We don't even know how to put one foot forward. And we believe this principle of one, and you're going to see some different ones that came up throughout this series as she goes through, they put these slides up up, uh, different ways that would keep you moving forward in the direction of Jesus, even when you feel stuck. As you're looking at these slides, uh, one last thing that I'll say before we dive into our conversation today is this. Uh, Next week, we kick off a new series called Steps, and this series is specifically for uh, spiritual formation, to give you encouragement and, again, tools and a framework of what it looks like to continue to grow in Jesus. Because, friends, when we made a decision to put our faith in Christ, it wasn't a one-time decision, and then we just kind of move forward in our life continuing to do the same things that we were doing before. It was this idea that, yes, we don't have to earn God's favor, that His grace is unmerited, which means it's a free gift given to you if you will receive it. But it's this idea, this discipleship idea of continuing to pursue Jesus— and put the right steps in place to grow in him. We call that spiritual formation. So we kick off a new series next week that will focus on that. Well, here's how I would like to begin our conversation this morning. Today, we are going to look at the book of Revelation. We began this series by looking at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and today we're going to conclude this series by looking at the book of Revelation. And it's this idea of how things are coming to an end. So let me start with this. All things at some point in our life come to an end. At some point in our lives, everything, whether it's a part of our life or just a part of this world, will come to an end, right? I think the most apparent thing in front of us right now would be this idea of summer coming to an end. And all the parents in the room are so sad because they don't get to spend every waking moment with their, yeah, mm-hmm, why are you laughing there, guys? And then you've got maybe star athletes, people who look like they were born to do what they do. Guys like Peyton Manning, who his entire life was wrapped up in this identity of being a quarterback. But at some point, Peyton knew that his career was going to come to an end. Even this church, right, in September, we're going to be celebrating two years as a church here at Trace, which is incredible. But there will be a day where God will show me that my time of ministry here will be coming to an end. And then there's the thing that all of us have in common, that at one point in our lives, at some point in our lives, all of us will close our eyes for the very last time. Now, maybe you've come to recognize something that I have. Oftentimes on the other end of different things ending, we also usher in new beginnings, Right, if I were to go back and just go over this same list with you, when summer ends, it's because a new school year is beginning. When a guy like Peyton Manning that has this incredible legacy is stepping out of a career that is just incredible, you've got these new rookies that come in for new opportunities. You've got the fact that one day I will no longer be the leader of this church and some young punk's going to take my place. And then there's the fact that Every single day, thousands of people are taking their very last breath. But we have all these newborn babies that are taking their first. Oftentimes on the other end of endings, there are new beginnings. Friends, the book of Revelation is all about how this world will one day end, but only to usher into a new 
beginning. Now, you probably already know this, uh, but I can't possibly describe everything that the book of Revelation has to offer. We really would need an entire sermon series to do this, and so this will not be an exhaustive study of this book, but instead what I want to do is give you a framework, some tools that when you begin to study or continue to study on your own, maybe it'll give you a better approach of how to navigate some of the complications that we find in the book of Revelation, because I think we could probably agree that this is one of the most complicated books in the Bible. This particular book is dealing with end times, and in Christian academia, we use this word to describe it. It's called eschatology, which is the study of end times. Now, for what, it, for what it's worth, I believe that uh, the end times are very near, and it's because of things like this. Check out this video. Have you ever wanted to lick your cat? Now you can, without the fur balls. Introducing Licky Brush. Cats groom each other as a form of social bonding. As a human, you're left out of this intimate ritual. With Licky Brush, you can now lick your cat back. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, guys, on a serious note, if I can try not to laugh anymore here, um, Christians have a tendency to spend a lot of energy trying to predict how this world is going to end. And when you bring up the subject of revelation and end times and eschatology and Armageddon, like weird Christians come out of the woodwork to talk about this kind of stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it might it might be, it might be you. So, uh, but here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that you should definitely study, definitely this book. You should study the end times. You should study this idea that Jesus is coming back, that there is a second return of Jesus. And when that happens, all things at that point are going to come to an end. But what I would encourage you to not do is to get wrapped up in the, the mystery of all of this where people are trying to predict and people make millions of dollars writing books about this. And I would just encourage you to not spend too much time on something that Jesus said you can't ever figure out anyway. Here's what I mean by that. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this, however, no one knows when it comes to the end times, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. So even though this book is incredibly important and I want you to study it and you need to study it, I just want you to be careful to not get caught up in the very thing that Jesus says you can't figure out anyway. And so there's going to be a lot of people, there have in the past and there will be in the future, who will write books that say the time is coming and it's going to be on September 11, 2018, and his, here's why and all that stuff. I would just caution you to not get too caught up in that. But instead, maybe to back up and take a broader perspective at the book of Revelation, maybe come away with what's going to be our one thing today, which is this right here. Knowing how this ends, which is what the book of Revelation gives us clues into, should elevate our urgency now. In other words, knowing that Jesus will return, and when he does return, this world will be coming to an end. And knowing that he's coming to conquer evil once and for all, to put Satan in his rightful place, and then all of those that have chosen to put their faith and trust in him, they are inheriting eternal life with God. Knowing how that's going to end should elevate our urgency to let other people know about this good news now. 
And I believe truly that this is what the book of Revelation is doing for us. So as I was thinking through this week, like how do I approach this book? This is such a huge book to try to help you to narrow in and get a a grasp, a better understanding of it. Here's what I think would be the most beneficial. I want to build a framework for you guys today around these five areas. The fact that this is a revelation to John, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, that, that it's written to seven specific churches. In Revelation chapter 1, we see that John's given instructions to give this, this vision that he's receiving from God to seven specific churches in Asia Minor, and specifically because many of them are being reprimanded because of how they're getting things wrong. Some are being reminded to keep moving forward in the areas that they are already doing well in. Then we're going to look at the second return of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about maybe the most important thing, which is the fact that we need to be ready. Now, something that I want to um, describe to you on the front end of this is a promise that we receive from God when we read this book. We see this in no other book of the Bible, and here's how John explains it in Revelation chapter 1. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. No other place in Scripture do we receive, receive a blessing for actually reading a book. But not only does he say to read it, he says, and it's really important to make note of this, to take heart what is written in it, which is exactly what I want us to do today. So let's begin by building this framework around the revelation itself. About 30 years after Jesus dies and is resurrected, John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he finds himself on this Greek island called Patmos. And the reason that he is there is because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And in this, this day and age, the Roman government said, that's illegal. We don't want you talking about this new king and this new kingdom that is coming. And John didn't care what the Roman government had to say. And he kept telling people about Jesus. And finally, they sentenced him um, to this island where they would have sent many different types of prisoners. And so John finds himself on this island one day. And it says that he's worshiping in the spirit when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he reveals something to John. He allows John to see this incredible vision of what's going to happen when the world begins to come to an end. Now, one of the things that I want to talk about today that I think is going to be incredibly beneficial for your own personal study is this. When God gives John this revelation, this prophecy, and he reveals this, and another word in the Greek for the revelation is the unveiling. He unfolds spiritual realities. And so something important for you to note is this. John is able to see in this vision spiritual realities that our physical minds can't understand. It's important that you understand this. And so what John has to do is to go to great lengths using incredible and beautiful metaphors to describe this vision that he's seen in hopes to explain even a piece of what is actually there. But our minds, you have to understand this, our minds can't comprehend spiritual things. Our minds are stuck and restrained by the physical. Let me give you an example of this. In a few moments, we're going to talk about how the church in Laodicea was reprimanded. And one of the things they were reprimanded about was being lukewarm. Let me read to you how it's written. In Revelation chapter 3, it says, I know all things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of you guys grew up in a church where this was used to kind of scare you to death? Anybody else? Yeah, I grew up in one of those churches, and 
uh, kind of the original interpretation of this verse is that you need to be hot and passionate and on fire for Jesus. Like, don't be cold and don't be lukewarm. But if you actually start to study the historical context of Laodicea, which is who this is being written to, the church in Laodicea, you're actually going to come away and extract something completely different from the text. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, in Laodicea, right outside of the city limits, there were hot springs. And these hot springs had therapeutic properties, right? I mean, hot water would help aching joints and aching muscles. And so they would go there and they would bring this hot water back into the the city of Laodicea. But if they took too long to get the hot water back to the city, it would become lukewarm, useful for nothing. They also had cold springs right up on the edge of this mountain. And so they would go to these cold springs and they would bring this cold, refreshing water back into the city for drinking and, you know, different bathing purposes or cleaning purposes. But if they took too long to get the cold water back into the city, it would become lukewarm. What God is saying and the way he's reprimanding this church is saying, listen, you can be hot, you can be passionate on fire and fervent and tenacious and sharing the gospel. You can also be cold and refreshing, inviting people to come in and be a part of just an environment where they can take refuge from hard aspects of life. But don't find yourself in the middle because lukewarm water has no purpose. You know this. You know this because of the context in which you live in with these hot and cold springs. Don't just ride the fence. Don't just be what everybody needs you to be. Maybe when I'm with this people, I'm, I'm going to be kind of this way. If I'm with this group of people, I'll be kind of this way. Jesus says, if that's you, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Harsh words. But what John is doing for us here is he's taking a spiritual reality, but he's using physical descriptions to describe what's actually happening. Most scholars that I personally look to and would probably find the most agreement with say that we can't possibly know everything that the book of Revelation has to offer. It's impossible for our minds to comprehend the spiritual. And so the study of eschatology, again, to the the scholars that I look to, the best platform to land on is, I'm not fully going to understand this, but as long as I get the bigger idea, the fact that I know that Jesus is going to return, and when he does, we better be ready, that's probably the best place to find yourself when it comes to the study of this personal book. But one of the promises... One of the promises found in this book is maybe one of the, my favorite verses in all of Scripture. One of the promises that comes with those of us that have chosen to be on Jesus' team to hand over the keys to our life. We receive this promise in Revelation chapter 21, that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be a day when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things will have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm going to make everything new. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. So can I remind you one more time of our one thing? Knowing how all of this ends should help us to be more urgent now. Let's move on to this framework as we build this. And we're going to look at the reprimand and the reminding of these seven specific churches. Now, I don't have this up on the screen, but we know what, seven, what these seven churches were because in chapter 10, it says this. It says, it was the Lord's, I said chapter 10, chapter one, verse 10. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly, this is John speaking, suddenly I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything that you see and send it to these seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
Now, what I'd like to do, guys, today is I was thinking through, and I had so much material in preparation for this sermon. I would actually like for us to look at why these seven specific churches were either called out or encouraged and why that may have been the case because I think there are learning points. There are teaching moments for us as individuals in this, but also teaching moments for us as a church. So as we go through this, the first church is going to be Ephesus. You're going to see different passages and references that will be up on the screen. If you want to study these further for yourself, which I would encourage you to do, you can write these down. But we're just going to kind of take some bullet point notes as we go through this. Specifically, the church in Ephesus was being reprimanded because it had forsaken its first love. One of the things that I'll confess to you today is that even in full-time ministry, when it's our job to go around to talk and talking people about Jesus and helping people in the name of Jesus, it's actually easy to lose sight of Jesus, even in doing full-time ministry. And one of the things that I have put in place here at Trace to help to um, overcome that are moments with the staff and the team here where we sit down and I say, hey, okay, let's put our agenda aside, everything that we've got to do, and a lot of times we've got a lot of stuff that we're trying to get on top of and complete. And the way that I approach it is this. Let's just speak of Jesus. Because that shouldn't ever be abnormal for us. That, ever, that should never be something where we feel like we have to force it, almost so much so that it sounds weird or inauthentic. And so what I say is, let's sit down. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? Right now? How is he teaching you right now? Where do you need him to show up more in your life right now? Where do you need his help? And for 20 or 30 minutes, we'll just speak of Jesus. Can I ask you a rhetorical question this morning? How often do you speak of Jesus with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors? Speaking of Jesus should not be something that we have to force out. It should be such a part of who we are as followers of his that it should be naturally coming out of our life. This church in Ephesus was being reprimanded because they have lost sight of their first love. They were still doing a lot of things, but they were still missing and losing sight of Jesus. Friends, this church will always be founded and built upon the name of Jesus. And my hope is that your life will be as well. The second church that's mentioned in this book is this church called Smyrna. And they're not reprimanded, uh, reprimanded but they're actually being encouraged. Because what he's saying is you're going to receive some persecution. And because I know that you're going to receive some persecution, I'm asking you to remain faithful even through that persecution. Here's what I would tell us as a church today. Friends, if you are standing firm for your faith and what you believe, there will, there will come a day, if it hasn't already, where things are going to get uncomfortable for you, especially in a culture that is constantly moving away from Christ. And so there will come a day where you will have to stand firm for what you believe in. And so here we hear Jesus affirming them and encouraging them, stand firm all the way to the end. It's going to get difficult. And so maybe somebody in here today needs to hear that. Maybe you know that you've already seen some wavering and drifting in your own personal faith because of persecution and what others expect you to be. And so maybe your encouragement today is to stand firm and don't waver. The third church that we hear about is Pergamum. And this is a church that says that they needed to repent because in this church was, it was full of corruption and compromise. And one of the things that I want to talk about in this particular setting is how important it is for us here at Trace to elevate the importance of integrity and accountability. Some of you, it was hard to come back to church, wasn't it? And I know this because I've talked to many of you. 
And some of you were put underneath some really unhealthy leadership at a church and you saw where there was no accountability and you saw where integrity wasn't elevated to the point that it needed to be elevated. And because of those experiences, it was, it was hard for you to come back. Some of you right now in this moment, you're thinking of friends and family members, maybe a neighbor who you know it's, you've been asking them to come to tra- Trace or a church and they haven't taken you up on that invitation yet because of their previous experiences where there was a low level of integrity and maybe a lot of compromise in the leadership. We take integrity and accountability very seriously here at Trace. And you need to know this. There are people who can fire me. This management team is not only made up of people here, but also other pastors from other churches, and they keep an eye on what we do here until we develop our own local leadership. And they can fire me, and I invite that because we want to live above reproach, especially as the leaders of this church. The next church that we see is Thyatira. And this church had a false teacher, a woman who was actually trying to lead people away from Jesus. And here's what I want to say about that. Friends, this will always be a church where broken and messy people are welcome through those doors. Like it's really important for us here that we create a culture. That's why we started this church. We want messed up people, people that are extremely far from God, people that you know right now. We want them to know that they're welcome to come through those doors. And it doesn't matter how far from God or how messy and messed up their life is, that they can come and they can sit here as long as they need to and even belong here as long as they need to before they ever believe. That is incredibly important to us. Now, why do I bring that up? Because there are some things that we do draw lines on. And when it comes to someone being in this church that leads you away from Jesus, based on teaching that's happening behind the scenes or conversations that's happening behind the scenes, yes, we're going to try to have conversations with you to steer you in the right direction. But I promise you, when it comes to leading people away from Jesus, I will walk those people to the door of this church every single time. And I wanted you to know that. The next church that we see is the church of Sardis. And it says that this church had fallen asleep. The best way that I know how to describe that is mentioning this idea of nominal Christianity, this idea of being a Christian by name only. Maybe you became a Christian because you were adopted into it, right? I mean, the fact that your parents were Christians, you just automatically assume maybe that's what I'm supposed to do, and so you became a Christian. Maybe you got in a relationship with somebody who was a Christian, and you knew, hey, the only way that I'm going to seal this deal is if I become a Christian as well, and so you made a jump into something that you really didn't know a whole lot about. What I think that the point that Jesus is trying to get to the church in Sardis is that nominal Christianity is no Christianity at all. This is not just about being a Christian when it's convenient. This is not just about saying Jesus in the right settings, but when you're, you know, by yourself, you're a completely different person and you're living a completely different life. This is about having a commitment to say, no, Jesus is the Lord and he's the leader of my life. He's not just a good idea. It's not just something that sounds good on paper. I'm handing the keys over my life to him, which means he's now the the leader and Lord of my life and I'm following him. No nominals. Guys, I'd rather you come in here and just say, you know what, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. That's a different conversation. But for those of us that have said, oh, yeah, 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 I believe. But there's nothing a part of our lives that represents that we've actually made a higher level, a higher purpose, a higher commitment to our Lord. That's nominal Christianity. And I would argue that nominal Christianity is no Christianity at all. And then there's the church in Philadelphia. It says the church that had endured patiently. One of the things that this church was recognized for is that it had incredible strength, even though it had small influence. 
because it says that they did not abandon the word of God, that they stayed true to the authority of the scriptures. And one of the things that stood out to me the most about this particular church is how it says it always had open doors for ministry. It always kept the possibility of new opportunities being presented to them so that they were ready to take those opportunities to reach people for Jesus. They always had open doors. This past week, on Thursday, I'm in one of the rooms over here, and as I mentioned earlier, I just came back from a four-week study leave, and I've got like hundreds of emails that I'm trying to get caught up on. If I haven't gotten back to yours yet, I apologize. And I'm sitting down. It was one of those moments where it's like, okay, I just, I'm just going to get some stuff done. I got, I've got a lot of stuff in front of me. I've got to get some stuff done. And right as I was kind of getting in that rhythm, a young man walked through the doors of our church. And uh, really quickly, he made known that he was a homeless man. He was only 21, is only 21 years old. And he said, I need a ride. And the first response inside of me was, I don't have time for this. And this is where I want to come back and say thank you for the opportunity to get away, to be refreshed and refocused. Because it's in those seasons where I'm reminded of what my first calling is to. And it's for people who walk through the doors of this church that are homeless and need a ride. And so after I kind of got past my selfish moment, I said, sure, I'd love to. Let me get a couple things done really quick. And so we jumped in my car and I started to take him where he needed to go. And I said, man, tell me your story. 21-year-old kid, when he was 18, uh, he got drunk and got behind the wheel of, an, of a car and his best friend was with him and he got in a wreck and he killed his best friend. And because of that, reckless endangerment or whatever the charge was, he went to prison for about four or five years or three or four, whatever, if he's 18, I can't do the math. Don't do the math in public, it never works. And I'm talking with him and he said, man, I got out of prison and I can't get a job. I've got this on my record. I ended up getting caught up in some drugs. He said, I'm just trying to figure life out. And he was actually a very intelligent young man. And so I said, well, where are you with Jesus? And he goes, I believe, I guess, I just don't know. And so it gave me the opportunity to share with him some of my own past, which many of you know, and what God can do with a fully surrendered life. And how it was a time, a perfect time for him to rebuild his life, but this time rebuild it on Jesus. And I talked to him for a long time, and he shared his information with me, and he said he's willing to come and talk more about what it looks like to surrender his life to Christ. Friends, may we always be ready for the open door opportunities that God is putting in front of us. And you know we've said this before here, Trace, and I'll say it again. It begins with seeing people. It begins with seeing the people that God is putting in front of you because that, there may be a very specific person of, or I'm sorry, a very specific purpose of the person God is putting in front of you in that moment. But if you're too wrapped up in your own life and all the things that you've got to get done, you'll miss it. May we always be a church and a people who make ourselves available for open doors of opportunity and ministry. And then the last church that he calls out is Laodicea, which we already talked about, this church with lukewarm faith. Friends, I don't care if you're hot, I don't care if you're cold, but let's be one or the other. Maybe God has gifted you to be the kind of person that is refreshing, you're full of grace, and you want to extend opportunities for people to come and find refuge, to catch their breath. You're really good at, at extending mercy and offering hospitality. Maybe that's your gift. Or maybe God has gifted you to share the truth and you're hot and you're passionate and you're on fire for wanting to share the gospel with others. Maybe we be a church that's full of hot and cold people that we never get, never need to be reprimanded like the church in Laodicea was 
for being lukewarm, for just riding the fence and just going wherever the culture is taking us. All of that leads me to the last thing that I want to talk to you about, which is the fact that Jesus is going to return, meaning there is going to be a day in the future where it will be too late for us to be urgent, for us to share the gospel. Let me begin this section by showing you a picture of a guy named Randy Posh. Some of you know who this is. Randy became famous back in 2007 because he gave this this speech called The Last Lecture. And the reason it was called The Last Lecture is because Randy was diagnosed with terminal cancer, given a six-month window to live, and he was a professor at a popular college. And so what he decided to do with the rest of his time, uh, having terminal cancer and not that many more months to live, is to give one last speech, and this is now deemed as The Last Lecture. And he gave it all around the nation, and I think Oprah Winfrey uh, even had him come out and speak at one of her shows. I guess that's when you actually arrive in life. You get invited by Oprah Winfrey. One of the things that I remember Randy saying once is that he had one of his grandsons in his 73 Camaro, convertible, white leather. And he knew that this was one of the last moments he'd probably be able to spend with his grandson. And unfortunately, his grandson, they went and bought some Cokes, His grandson was a little clumsy and spilled the Coke on his white leather seats. And it was in that moment where Randy said he immediately knew that his response was going to be different because when you know how things are going to end, it makes you be more intentional in the moments you have in front of you. And so instead of Randy getting upset with his grandson for being clumsy, Randy took his Coke and poured it all all over the seat as well. It's interesting how different our responses can be when we know how things are going to end. Friends, when Jesus comes back, he does so to divide and conquer. He does so to bring an end to all the evil in this world. And our opportunity, our our opportunity to let others know about the saving grace of Jesus will also come to an end, which should cause us to be more urgent today. Friends, the knowledge that we have about this free gift that he calls grace is priceless. But yet sometimes we hold on to it as if we have all the time in the world. But we don't. Now for those of us that have chosen to let Jesus be the Lord and leader of our life, I want to encourage you with something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when that day comes... And it's all over, and we inherit an eternity with Jesus. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can possibly even conceive the things that God has prepared for those of us who love him. So let me end by saying this. I'm going to have them put a picture of an hourglass up here. When it comes to the book of Revelation, sometimes we get really caught up in when's the time going to be, and how's it going to look, and all those things. But instead, maybe we should just refocus on the fact that time is all we got. And none of us know how much time we have left, whether for our own lives or for those that we love that we would hope that would come to a saving faith in Jesus. And so let me remind you of our one thing one more time. Knowing how all of this ends should elevate our urgency today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get up here and share about what it is that you have revealed 
And even though we don't understand all the specifics of Revelation, what we do know is very clear that your son is going to return. And when he does, he's going to have a new mission. His first mission was to come so that we can have eternal life, to to conquer death so that we can receive the saving grace from him. But when he comes back, it's going to look a little bit different because he's coming to rid this world of evil for good. So God, I pray that we take advantage of every moment that you give us to both represent his love and his saving grace to all those that we come into contact with, understanding that we truly don't know how much time we have left. God, would you put an urgency within us to share your gospel, your good news, because everyone deserves to hear it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.